Colter Nuanas from ESPN Montana here at the M Store. Proud to present our Nuanas Now podcast each and every day, available on all of your various podcast hosting platforms. One of their awesome partners, a guy that really is uh, helping spread the word about the M Store, is Grizz All American Junior Bergen. What's up, man? Thanks for coming in. Yes, thank you for having me. First of all, you got a cool t shirt. What's it like being on a t shirt? You're a kid from Billings, Montana, so that, yeah. might, that must be kind of surreal knowing there's a t shirt of you at the M Store. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, I went to a couple basketball games back home. And uh, I saw some kids running around with I their love shirt it. on. And it was really surreal. It was a cool moment, cool experience for sure. Uh, that's so cool. You guys do such a good job of embracing how much the community loves you. But when people are looking up to you like they do, I mean, they think, I mean, you're the man right now. for <laughs> <laughs> the University of Montana. What's yeah. that like being a Montana kid? Um, it's different for sure. Um, you know, growing up, you kind of look up to guys like who are in the NFL totally. and stuff like that. But, um, you know, it's just great to have a, a positive influence on these kids' lives. Um, you know, I just wanted to make sure... Uh, I set the example and lead by example and give them someone to look up to. Go check out the M Store. They're located there at the corner of Higgins and Broadway here in the city of Missoula. And you can also visit anytime online, MontanaMStore.com. They have all the latest and greatest, a whole bunch of original Grizz gear. And, of course, they have Junior Bergen T-shirts. Junior Bergen, proud partner with the M Store, as well as us here at uh, ESPN Montana. Thanks for swinging by, man. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me. The M Store, where they're all Grizz all the time. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. It's four o'clock. Welcome to Tutel and Nuanes, Montana's only statewide sports talk show. Broadcast on 102.9 ESPN Radio for Western Montana and across the state on SWX Television. I like football! Now, sports talk from Montana for Montana. Live from the Kurtz Polaris studio, here is Ryan Tutel and Coulter Nuanez. Hello, Montana. And just like that, the Big Sky Conference basketball season is off and running. And the Seattle Seahawks make their appearance on Monday Night Football. It is Tutel and Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, and across the state on SWX Montana Television. Outstanding to be with you on this Monday, coming out of a holiday weekend. Hope you are fantastic. Thanks for being with us on your radios, on your TVs, and as the case may be, all around the world on the World Wide Web, 1029ESPN.com. You go there, you listen to uh, the show uh, anytime, 4 to 6, any afternoon that you'd like on the stream from wherever you might be. And if it's not during those hours, well, shoot, you can still listen to the station anyway. 1029ESPN.com. You go there, you take a dip in the stream. The stream is available all the time. Thanks to Opportunity Bank of Montana, your local bank, your opportunity. You want to call, you want to be a part of it, feel free, 361-3688. 361-3688 is the phone number. All guests join us via the Rangage Brothers RV phone line. So go ahead and give us a call there. You can also text us on that phone number, 361-3688. So those are your phone numbers today. Plenty to get to. 
over the long holiday weekend. And thank you very much. A little longer for me. You know, I've been working very hard, Coulter. I needed to just get away. Uh, you go ahead and you get yourself started with some college basketball. Both the Montana uh, men's uh, Montana men's team, Montana State men's and uh, men's team played, and then the Montana women's team also opening things up on Wednesday of last week. We actually touched on it because it was a day game, so our, our, the last day, uh, 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 Wednesday last week. I know you talked about that game, Coulter, uh, here on the show, but a uh, a fun start. Um, just the fact that it has started is fun. So we'll get into that. We will also top of the hour get into the Seattle Seahawks. Mike Dugar going to join us twelve for the twelves as he does. He covers the Seahawks for the athletic. We will have the Seahawks-Philadelphia Eagles Monday night football game for you right here on ESPN Radio. As soon as the show is done, we'll send you out to Lincoln Financial Field in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We also have a few other things for you. The Paddleheads announcing today, the Missoula Paddleheads announcing today that they will be playing baseball in 2021 and expect, anticipate, and are, are uh, you know, going forward, playing basketball, uh, baseball indefinitely, continuing on with the Pioneer League as a partner league, part of the MLB uh, Partner League Association. I think there's three such leagues now nationwide. The Pioneer League will be one of those. All the teams that have comprised the Pioneer League will continue to comprise the Pioneer League, so I think that is very cool. You'll have the same clubs, actually a couple of additional games. We'll get into that specifically. And then we also uh, will get into this, a, uh, a sad weekend in uh, in this respect on Thanksgiving evening. Mick Holine passed away. Uh, Mick Holine, obviously the voice of the Grizz for 31 one years uh, from the time that he started uh, uh, till till he hung up just a few years ago. But Nicolene, you know, the voice and really the voice when the voice, the voice will always matter. But when it was the only option for a lot of people was, was uh, you know, the radio and his call of Grizzly events. And uh, we were so very fortunate to be joined by him for our Grizz Greats podcast series that is ongoing. And he was actually the very first one that we released, Mick Colleen's mm-hmm. was, because uh, we thought, well, who better than him to give the window as the observer and the orator of, of that special 1995 national championship season for the Grizzlies. And so we will bring you another piece piece of that conversation a portion of that episode which of course again you can listen to in its entirety wherever you get your podcast the grizz grace uh, silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions podcast series so you can get that so we will get into uh, that a little bit today as well and some memories of mick Holine. but anyway colter good to be back good to be back in the chair I had some time off so happy to be uh, uh back with you here as we round out november this afternoon if you can believe it and the end of november started with the beginning of basketball season at the collegiate level, certainly across the Big Sky Conference. Uh, which game do you want to do first, Colt? I mean, we could give people the nuts and bolts. The Grizzlies went on the road to Los Angeles, played USC out of the Pac-12. They were down a ton early. What was it, like 37-8 to eight at one uh, point or something like that? 32-8. Yeah, 32, points. okay. Uh, but Montana actually ended up outscoring USC by 10 points over the final 27 minutes of that game, but they were down so much so early. I mean, you give up 
the the the, the thirty two points. They only scored eight points in the first about 12, 13 minutes of the ball game. I yeah. mean, they just it was there was a lid on that thing, and uh, you know some some interesting pieces coming out of that. But anyway, seventy six sixty two the final score in favor of USC. Montana looked much better uh, as the as the game progressed certainly, and uh, you know the, the debut down there at USC. You know, is a big uh, you know uh, opponent uh, obviously to be playing in the Trojans. Montana State meanwhile went on the road and. I don't know if it's a statement, but it was a heck of a way to open your season to go into Las Vegas and just put it on UNLV 91-78. And really, the Cats were up for 20 points for the majority of this game. And I thought, you know, they, they were up, I think, 18 going into the break. And you thought, okay, UNLV kind of trying to figure it out. First game of the season. You know, you got the Mountain West talent, the sort of history of the Rebs and all that. And when are they going to make their run? When are they going to make their run? And they never did. Montana State just never allowed it. And even when UNLV did start start scoring a little bit, Montana State just scored at an exceptional clip, both in terms of total and then also just the efficiency of it, the percentages. So uh, a, a very impressive win for Danny Sprinkle and what the first true road opening victory for the Cats in a decade. Uh, actually, the first true road opening victory okay. since 2002. So Is almost right? two wow. decades, almost yeah, amazing. Uh, almost since the end of the uh, the Mick Durham era. So it's it been a long time coming. I mean, a part of that is a product of, you know, a lot of times they're playing on neutral courts. A lot of times they're playing, you know, opening at home with maybe a lesser opponent, or a lot of times then they're opening at a, a power five, a money game. And this was none of those. This was a money game. The Cats did get $40,000 from UNLV. Yeah. And make no mistake, I mean, I know UNLV, the the luster is not quite what it was when Shark the Tark was there, when Jerry Tarkini was there. Yeah. But make no mistake, it's like my brother said when we were talking about this game. He said, hey, you can talk about beating a Power 5 team or playing a Power 5 team or whatever it might be, but UNLV has a national championship. They've played in multiple Final Fours. There's very few programs in the whole country, any conference that can say that. Yeah. No matter how long ago it was, UNLV won a national championship and played for two other ones in our lifetimes. Yeah. So this is an enormous win. And again, I know UNLV has fallen on hard times comparatively, but this team was still second. I mean, they did just have the number one overall pick about five years ago. They, now they did. People- they laughed did. at it, and evidently their laughter was justified. But nonetheless, sure. sure. <laughs> but but they also, I mean, they also finished second in the Mountain West last year. Mountain West is yeah. a good conference. Yeah. TJ Olsenberger is a established coach. I mean, TJ Olsenberger had for for what the schools are the big sky want to become. South Dakota State is probably the most realistic model. Mm. Where honestly, Montana Weber State have better overall tradition than South Dakota State long term. But SDSU has won. They went to the Sweet 16 one year, and then they won another tournament game another year. So they have multiple NCAA tournament wins, and that has helped yeah. buoy that conference. And you can see the way that the both the Horizon Summit and Missouri Valley, I know that there's a lot of crossover when it comes to football, but those Midwestern leagues where South Dakota State, North Dakota State, Wichita State, they have you can see how the, the wins in the NCAA tournament have buoyed them. But let's start with this. The To me, both of these games had a common thread. But that common thread worked to the Bobcats' advantage enormously, and it worked to the Grizz' disadvantage. 
enormously. I think both teams have an incredible element of mystery coming into this year because they have such revamped and overturned rosters. You talk about only one player left from the Brian Fish era for Montana State. That's Devin Kirby, the senior center. Everybody else on the roster is new as of Danny Sprinkle as he enters his second year, and more than half the roster just played their first game ever for Mm -hmm. the Bobcats. Mm -hmm. Montana, on the other hand, they also have a variety of newcomers with a few returners, But the difference here to me is you watched a bunch of Montana returners try to play a very similar system to what Montana has operated under Travis DeCure for seven years, and they were... Uh, they seemed nervous, they seemed tight, they seemed in no flow. There was no semblance of a rotation for the first 13 minutes of the game. Travis DeCure, as we know, he loves a tight rotation. He loves a seven- to eight-man rotation. You You could tell by the way he rotated his guys the first 13 minutes of the game that rotation spots are absolutely still up for grabs. Nine players played double digits, 11 minutes or more in this game. A total of 11 guys played in this game. And, and, nine and, guys who were in, in significant rotation minute levels. Well, yeah. And 10 guys got into the game before the under-12 media timeout. That's yeah. the key statistic for you right there. Because he was, Travis DeCure, twofold. If, if you looked nervous or you, you, know, you weren't in the flow of the game, he gave somebody else a chance. But also, USC, which we'll get into a little bit, had one of the most, if not the most talented front lines that Montana will see, led by Evan Mobley, who was the number one recruit in the United States of America coming into this year, a seven-footer who will absolutely be a lottery pick, and I would say if he continues to develop, it's going to be a top-five pick in the draft next year. He got Michael Stedman and Derek Carter-Hollinger into early foul trouble, so that also impacted the rotation. But you saw a group of new faces, unknown commodities, trying to operate a similar system, and I think the fact that they didn't have flow with each other, there was not a lot of apparent early chemistry. That's where they they fell behind 24 points. They won this game after the 721 mark when Travis DeCure took a timeout, and they buckled down defensively. Offensive execution was ramped up. On the other side of the coin, though, Montana State, last year I thought Coach Sprinkle did such a good job in realizing that no matter what system he wanted to play, no matter what he wanted the identity of the Bobcats to be, they had to build the thing around their senior backcourt of Harold mm-hmm. Frey and Layden Ricketts, specifically around Frey. So they played a very uh, open European style, a lot of ball screens for Frey, a lot of isolation stuff for Frey. The whole thing was operated around Harold Frey's ability on both sides of the ball. That is very clear to me, not the style Danny Sprinkle wants to play. The spring, this, the, and this might just be, he might be a coach that just wants to have his style be catered to the personnel, but the personnel he's got now, he's got a... Point guard in Xavier Bishop, who's faster than lightning, unbelievably fast. And UNLV tried to press Montana State, and you could tell they weren't ready for how fast Xavier Bishop was. Mm -hmm. Bishop's breaking this press by himself, and he's getting in the lane. I mean, the guy is what, 5'8", 5'7"? He's not not big. He's tiny, and he's just slapping glass, getting layups, and he scores 22 points on 6 of 9 shooting, gets to the free throw line 8 times, makes all 8 of his free throws, even knocks down a couple threes. And Montana State was up and down, up and down. They ran UNLV out of the gym. But I thought that the, the what was um, the similar system with new faces for Montana, it was a new system with new faces for Montana State. And that's where Montana State was able to get ahead and maybe surprise UNLV a little bit. Uh, I give Montana State, uh, obviously, all the credit in the world. They, they didn't just look great. They were great. They also were lights out shooting the basketball. Uh, they were 10 of 18 from deep in this game, 56% uh, from three in this in this game, and they were 56% from the floor, by the way, as well. Yep. 
those are incredible numbers and you'll take it any day, but you can't sit here and go, okay, this is what this team, like you're not going to be shooting better than 55% from, from, from the floor to say nothing of from three during the course of a season. So, you know, you, you, you'll take those great shooting nights, great shooting nights when you get them, but you know, you, you also have to take that as probably a bit of an anomaly in terms of, of how good that efficiency turned out well, to be. Well, I, I, I have a question for you, though. Okay. At the University of Montana, I think that Travis DeKeer has raised the overall recruiting profile, both of the ability to attract impact transfers and the ability to attract incoming freshmen that are more highly regarded in the recruiting game than any other coach in the big sky. I think that Travis DeCure recruits on a bare minimum Mountain West level, and he's gotten not just one or two, but as many as half a dozen, maybe even more than that, guys that straight up either did or could have played in the Pac-12. Said Pridget chose Montana over Creighton and Oregon State. This is not like he's choosing Montana over San Jose State. Travis DeCure's beating a Pac-12 for him. And that's multiple guys. I mean, Ahmad Rory could have gone anywhere in the country. So the recruiting base is there. I think that Montana has the athleticism to hang with high major teams. They've proven it year in and year out. I think they have the acumen to hang with high major teams. To me, the two things that have held them back from from popping an upset, because they play more money games than anybody in the league, so there's actually more opportunities for it as well. But the, the number one thing, there's two things that have held Montana, in my opinion, back from pulling that upset. One, slow starts. It seems to be the trend. And then whenever Coach Secure calls that timeout, rips everybody and says, let's go, and then they D-up, get a run, whatever. But the number two thing is the shooting. Mm-hmm. To me, you're right. You're not going to shoot 53% for, from three for the season. But to, to win a game that you're not supposed to win on the road, that's what you got to do. you got to hit half your threes. Yeah. So how big of an Achilles heel is Montana shooting still? I know we can't extrapolate for the whole season, but to me, it's the number one missing factor. If you want to go to the NCAA tournament and beat Michigan, you got to have the dude who you're not expecting – Shoot four from four or six from three. You have yeah. to have it. No, it, it's a very good point, and you're right. I mean, that that's not been uh, an area of emphasis. Obviously, the emphasis has been defensive. I'll get, I'll give this to you numerically from their first game, the Grizzlies. They go 34 percent from the field and 24 percent from three. Yep. Not good. In the first half. USC went 71% from the field and 66% fully two-thirds from three. At one point, point, USC was 15 of 19 from the floor. But listen to this. In the second half, the Trojans, 32% from the floor and 25% from three identical numbers to what Montana did. And I would say that, in my view, the Grizzlies, in, in many cases, did that to USC. Like you do have to, you you need a guy that can make some buckets, but also when they finally sort of settled in and turned it on defensively. And let's be honest, when the game really was no longer in doubt, you can play a little bit looser and maybe a little, with a little more tenacity, and maybe that's a little more free flowing on the side of USC, and you're able to work your way back into it. Here's what I think, though, um, from a recruiting standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, and I think from a defensive standpoint. Uh, I don't think that there's anybody better in the league right now head coaching than Travis DeCure. Mm-hmm. It's very early. It's one year and one game. Mm-hmm. But one thing that I think that Danny Sprinkle is doing as well as anybody and maybe better than everybody is the infusion of confidence into his players. Yep. And he said this, I mean, in his opening press conference the day he was hired, I can't wait to get with with, with, with this team, with this group, 
and and let it rip and say, you know, everybody's got a green light. All I want you to do is go hard and shoot the basketball, and you are always welcome to shoot it. And I would also say everybody would love to have a coach like that, particularly, though, the contrast. It ain't a yellow-on-white contrast when you're coming from Brian Fish to Danny Sprinkle in this respect, right? Yeah. Lots to like about Coach Fish, but particularly game day, infusion of confidence, not one of his strengths, into the team. You know what I mean? And so, Absolutely. Like any coach is going to, you know, get on a kid for taking a bad shot or whatever it might be. But I'll tell you what, when you go up there knowing, hey, bottoms, let's go. And there's not a second thought, not a hesitation, not a worry, you know, any of that stuff. I think you do start to see, you know, that have its effect here as well. So there's there's that. I want to get into a couple things about this Grizzly game, though, Coulter. Tutel Nuwana's 1029 ESPN Radio. Montana. 76-62 the final. At the end of the day, you look at that score, you go, it's not, it's not too bad. Here's one thing, though, that surprised me. We, we had no idea who was going to start this game, okay? Yeah. Uh, Josh Bannon uh, started this game as a true freshman. And the other guy who I was very surprised starting this game, Eddie mm-hmm. Egan, getting a start in this game. Now, when it was all said and done, Eddie Egan ultimately played the least number of minutes of any of the guys who were in like the double digit rotation. He had just over 11 minutes. Sure. But I thought, you know, over, you know, any, any of the other guards, Josh Vasquez, notably who started over Eddie Egan, obviously a season ago uh, was, you know, came off the bench and had 15 minutes here. They're very deep as we've talked about at guard, uh, even with the absence now, or the, you know, not having Nassim Gaskin on the on the team, they're very, very deep in this respect. And as you said, what one of the things we saw, and one of the things I take away here is this is a coach and a coaching staff trying to see who can do it when the lights are on, so to speak. It's one thing to be it in practice, but I thought that was a. Uh, I don't know how much to make of the fact that Eddie Egan was a starter in this game. Uh, I tip my cap to him uh, that that he was. I think that that probably is representative of a lot of hard work in the offseason, a lot of good practice time leading up to this opening game, and who knows what other factors maybe led into that as well. But uh, uh, good for him, and and yet, to, as to, to your point, the door still feels very wide open in terms of who's going to be the playmakers on the floor. If you're looking for total minutes, Brandon Whitney, who came off the bench, ended up being the high scorer in this game for the Grizzlies. Yep. He had 33 minutes, 19, uh, 17 points, excuse me, total. And then Josh Bannon, another true freshman, 34. They were they had more. Now, granted, there was foul trouble. Michael Stedman, 21 minutes. Derek Carter-Hollinger, 14 minutes. Cam Parker, the transfer, 20 minutes. So... Uh, you know, there, there's a lot of guys who got a good number of minutes, but only two guys who got basically full game minutes. Although you're talking about 33, 34 minutes in this thing. So I think that is uh, something that we knew that we were going to watch for, and it's even more intriguing to me now seeing this. If you missed last Tuesday's show, Riley Corcoran, voice of the Grizz, joined me with Ryan out, and he gave a pretty good uh, synopsis of the Grizz basketball team, but he sort of was the first uh, – on the record to tease Josh Bannon. We've been hearing behind closed doors how good and talented Josh Bannon is, the six foot nine forward from Australia, from Melbourne, Australia. Yeah. And uh, I thought Josh Bannon 
more than just his skills, I, I, I knew that he was a big, strong guy. I didn't realize he could play facing the basket. I didn't know he could take it off the dribble a little bit, a little pull-up jump shot. I mean, he made a three in this game. I didn't know he had all of that. Made it, his only three, by it, the way. If he continues that, 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 he, that makes him a pretty dangerous weapon. But it was the confidence that he operated with that I thought was uh, the most impressive part. But to me, I think that what Montana, given the personnel that they have, is going to need to lean toward is lineups that outsize and outlength people and they have the personnel to do that if they play bannon and michael stedman and Derek carter hollinger and then potentially kyle owens in the same lineup you're talking about four guys Derek carter hollinger is the shortest of those guys right. and he's six five but he's got great length he's a power forward body he's just not power forward height yeah. but he makes up with it because he can jump out of the gym he's got long arms he's a great shot blocker he's he's a front court player yes he is and so well, he's a, he's a he's a He's a true sort of. He's very versatile, right? He can play. Sure. He can play outside the perimeter. Sure, too. but he's kind of like an old school power forward, right? I mean, poor man's Charles Barkley, his, so his, to speak. His, I mean, he, the height doesn't matter. His structure suggests that, yes. right? I mean, like the height doesn't matter. He block. He was the best shot blocker on the team probably a year ago, even. And I think that he'll probably still be one of that. But what I'm getting at though is, to me, I, I think that. I think they really like Kyle Owens in that sixth man spot. Riley Corcoran talked about that on his pregame show because Kyle Owens can come in for if you bring Kyle Owens off the bench first, he can come in for one through five, and then you can rotate a different guy. Say say he comes in for the one, you can put a different guy at the one because Owens can play and guard two through five, and it gives them a little bit of versatility with their lineup. So to me, we talk about the top six spots in the rotation. I think that the the there's a spot in the starting lineup and then a spot at seven and eight that are open for a, a collection of guys. Mm. Eddie Egan's one of them. Cam Parker's one of them. Cam Satterwhite is one of them. Josh Vasquez is one of them. Brandon Whitney's one of them. And probably Robbie Beasley's one of them as well. Robbie Beasley made the triple but was in street clothes. He's the most highly regarded of these incoming freshmen. I don't know what the issue was. They said it was not a COVID issue because he did make the trip. They said it was just a day-to-day injury thing. But I just think that's that's a lot of guys. So I expect them to continue continue to experiment with lineups. You could see early that USC's game plan was to make Cam Parker shoot. And Cam Parker didn't shoot the ball very well. He's only two of seven from the floor. That kind of led way then to them going with with uh, Brandon Whitney, and, and Brandon Whitney got in the paint a lot more often. He was able to penetrate, and he was able to, like you said, lead the team in scoring 17 points. And, and got to the line, right? Eight, eight or nine. nine at the free throw line. That's exactly what, what I was getting at. But to me, one of the biggest factors that hurt this team was Cam Satterwhite. They expect him to be a three-point shooter, and I think that he that's the role he's going to encompass, but he was 0-7 from three, 1-9 of nine from the floor. Couple good looks, a couple force shots. That's going to be this what this team's going to go through, though. That's where you have to find a semblance of a rhythm as you try to to define your rotation. Because if guys are trying to win that spot, if you're Cam Satterwhite to win that spot, your role is to make shots. So you're going to make, you're going to take shots. Yeah. Whereas Cam Parker, your role is to distribute, to get everybody in and out of there, all the stuff, you know, to dish and drive and all these things. So I just think it's going to be interesting to watch uh, how this all plays out because I do think that there's going to be a huge log jam. If they want to go big, they can go big. If they want to go small, they're going to go small. But how long does it take for them to figure out? Because I think that Travis Secure is just much more comfortable with that eight-man rotation. So how do you determine... Okay, we have these six guards. We need at least three, maybe four, to be part of the rotation. That's going to be the number one determining factor between now and the end of this month. And the the interesting part for the Grizz now is 
They open up Big Sky Conference play on Thursday. So it, it's go time. They're going to Southern Utah uh, in Cedar City. So they, uh, I think that, like we always say, but this year more than any other time, you have to analyze the non-conference intrinsically, not externally. Yeah. Are we getting better for what we need to do? So, not, not you know, ignore the, the slow start USC or whatever. Figure, you, you analyze your players internally and see how you figure out your rotation. Well, they uh, they needed to figure it out as quickly as they possibly could, the Montana Grizzlies, because, hello, they open Big Sky play this week. They play two games, Thursday and Saturday, both against Southern Utah, both in Missoula, both with no fans. Uh, but you can see all the games on Pluto Television. Pluto, once again, will have the contract. I think it's like 1,005. It's up in the thousands now in terms of the channel on Pluto that Big Sky uh, games are going to be played on. They'll have one channel for each team. But you can check that out there. Uh, but this unique two-game uh, you know, opening week of Big Sky Conference play, which every team in the conference is playing in, except for Montana State, who will be playing at Pacific on Wednesday, and we'll obviously uh, cover that game. And if you, if you haven't been tracking the whole scheduling of this, we're not going to get into it now, but just just take it for what it is. It is the opening week of Big Sky Conference play, and then they most of these teams will revert back into non-conference play to finish out their sort of December schedules before leading into the, the sort of true beginning of conference play uh, in the new year. So there you go. Uh, some, some basketball being played in the city of Missoula. We'll take a quick break. We may come back to some basketball in the next hour, but wanted to uh, take a moment to remember the passing of, of uh, one of the all-timers at the University of Montana, Mick Holine, who passed away on Thanksgiving evening and uh, was the voice of the Grizz uh, in various sports, various capacities for 31 years, including obviously for, for football and men's basketball for many of those. So we will hear from Mick Holine and, uh, and discuss his legacy a little bit right after this. What are your business challenges for 2021? Supporting an increased remote workforce? Securing and managing your expanding corporate network? Communicating with your customers, employees, and partners? Whatever your challenges and priorities for 2021, Blackfoot Communications knows it all starts with a plan. We are here to help you assess, design, implement, and support your most critical technology infrastructure initiatives. Call Blackfoot at 866-541-5000 or email business at blackfoot.com to learn how we can set you up for success in 2021 and beyond. Blackfoot, connect to more. Welcome back to Telling Nuanas, 1029 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Hi, how are you across the state? Great to be with all of you. And Coulter, it was a uh, a Thanksgiving holiday, unlike one we've seen before uh, for for many people, and I hope a happy uh, and safe holiday for all listening. But it was also a sad holiday around uh, the University of Montana, Montana sports community, as Mick Holine passed away at the age of seventy six years old. Mick uh, was the voice of the Grizzlies for. Oh, 30 plus years, 31 years yep. in total from the time he came on. And uh, if, uh, you know, if you were a University of Montana fan of any stripe for three decades, it was his voice uh, primarily that was was the one giving you the pictures, giving you the window into it. And 
also a very unique style, a great storyteller, a very warm, you know, mm-hmm. way. And, you know, a couple of, of uh, you know, signature lines uh, that uh, that were that that are and will always be his. But uh, certainly a guy who, as we kind of came on the scene a little later on, was was good to us. I know you spent more time with him than I did earlier in your career. Uh, but uh, I, you know, I believe I believe this is true, which we'll hear from in just a little bit. But the final interview he ever did was with us for uh, Grizz Greats for the for the podcast series um, commemorating the 1995 national championship, which was right, uh, you know, right there in his. Well, so he'd been there. He'd been to Montana for about a decade, but only about. But a he'd th- only been doing third football year, for two years. Right, yeah. yeah, doing doing football games. Uh, so he, we will play you a little piece of that here in a moment, but. Coulter, a couple quick thoughts uh, on on Mick Holine. I thought in in all the outpouring uh, on social media and in, in in the newspapers and in the stories, I thought that Dave Guffey, former sports information director uh, of the University of Montana, summed it up best in the in in summarizing Holine's career. He said he had perfect timing mm. because Mick Holine took the job as the women's basketball play by play man in 1986. That aligned with the most successful years in an unbelievably successful career of Robin Selvig. Then Lady Grizz were a nationally elite program in the late 80s and, and early 1990s. That was during the transition from the Mountain West into the Big Sky Conference when the Big Sky first added women's basketball. But uh, he was there to cover uh, multiple of Robin Selvig's NCAA tournament victories. Yeah. He was there to cover Shannon Schwain's career, uh, Shannon Kate at that time, her career in its duration. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, you know, I mean, at that moment in time, University of Montana perhaps was one of, if not the only school in the country where women's basketball was the it. Show. That was it. Yeah. It was it was bigger than football or men's basketball. And that's and that's with good men's basketball and football programs. Yeah. So Helene was there and then he steps into the chair in nineteen ninety three to take over for Bill Schwanke as the play-by-play guy for Grizz football. And uh, we kind of know the rest of history there, too. He yeah. aligns himself with Dave Dickinson. So Mick Holine had a front-row seat for Robin Selvig, Shannon Kate, and Dave Dickinson, which are and Don Reed, which is that's the Mount Rushmore <laughs> of the University of Montana right there. And he got to do it in the span of a, the first 10 years of his time. But Mick was, uh, I guess the way you could say this, I think when, when people die... Uh, sometimes we gravitate towards the same ways of remembering them. And I think that the way I'll always remember Mick is how unique he was. Yeah. He was utterly unique in the way he operated and everything. I mean, who who is a uh, crimes and courts reporter at the Missoulian and also the play-by-play guy for the school? Right. What a role to fill. Who would even take that challenge? And who could manage it like he did? The way he broadcast, the way he told stories on the air. No one would ever teach you to be a, a play-by-play guy like Mick did it because you couldn't. Because he was utterly himself the whole time. Yeah. And I think even all the way down to his last years, his involvement with the Montana Football Hall of Fame, all the interviews that he helped conduct for us, uh, all the kind words and all the mentoring he gave to me and, and a variety of other broadcasters around the state for years and years. Uh, he will be missed, but hes I, I felt a, a sort of sense of relief as well because Mick had really been struggling with his health and uh, I, I think I think we all can agree that it, it, he's in a better place now. Uh, so ch- cheers to a great career. Um, he finished the race, man. That's all you can really ask to do. Here's an excerpt from our conversation from the podcast going over that 1995 season. We'll start with the kick, as remembered by Mick Holine. When Andy Larson, who makes that 48-yarder, like you said, to open the game, has to walk out there to kick a relatively short, 
field goal, but there's no such thing as a short field goal when you're talking about a national championship on the line. What was running through your mind, and what did you think when you watched that play happen and, and saw Montana take it the final lead of the game? Well, before I kicked it, I thought we were in good shape. We did everything right on that last drive. Uh, I can remember saying when Mike made the catch that ultimately led us to close enough to kick a field goal, I said he consumes the football. He grabs it on both sides. He consumes it. There's no way the ball is coming out. Just, I just knew that at that time, this was our ball game. As he's standing to kick the field goal, I'm not thinking that so much. I'm thinking this is a young kid. This, I didn't know he was 8 of 13. I probably had it on my scouting report somewhere. But I didn't remember saying it anyway. But the pressure of that situation. But it speaks to who he is. He's a banker now. He acts just the same as he did then as he does now. I happened to run into him uh, at a client up here at Mackenzie River and uh, and uh, a new dentist was coming to town and the bank was going to bankroll him. And, and so I had a grizzly yearbook with me and I went through it and found that picture of him coming off the field and introduced him to the guy as you know, you're talking to a guy who's kind of big stuff around here. And Andy was unbelievably embarrassed by something like that that would be brought up. Just, I was just a kicker. Yeah. As I said, was he was lining up destiny on the end of his toe was the last thing I said before that ball went up. The next thing you heard was Bill Knowles say, down on the field line, at the goal line, it made it by this much. This much, Mick. However, however I was supposed to see that, I don't know. But anyway, that was, uh, that was the end of the game for us. And then Montana, for the first time, is a national champion, and they're there in West Virginia. What do you remember about being in West Virginia, I know a lot of folks in Missoula and Western Montana remember the mayhem that ensued when the charter plane landed back in Missoula and the party uh, started uh, back in Montana. But what was it like to be in West Virginia in those hours after, you know, the game was over and, and the celebration that's, you know, a group of 2,500 Grizz fans that traveled over there and then, and then the team? Well, some things happened for a reason. I'd strung, uh, seems like 500 feet of coax from the press box to the locker room. Never done that before. Never done it since. I had a engineer by the name of Dave Syrak, who now is an ESPN guy. Uh, he was, he produced the show for me. I had Bill Knowles on the sidelines. So I was in the locker room for the trophy presentation in the locker room for singing happy birthday to coach Reed and in the locker room to talk to this kid who just booted the, booted the field goal. One of my treasured pictures is just talking to Andy after that point. And it, it was just, it was tumultuous in the, in the locker room. You couldn't hear anything. Uh, you couldn't hardly get around. Uh, many of the people had made their way in there that probably weren't supposed to be in there, but let's just say Marshall security at the end didn't much care what Montana people did. So 
the locker room was its, its own scene. As I'm rolling up the coax, the field's quiet, the lights are dimmed. It's past, past sunset. And it's, uh, it was just an odd feeling coming up the sidelines with that coax, looking up to the press box and going, my God, they're going to have to hold the plane. I'll never get this thing curled up. <laughs> and as I'm going back to the press box, I got a guy over across the fence going, hey, hey, Montana, he yells. I go, hey, look at that, that old boy, I'll tell you. That, that gentleman looks like uh, he goes for hunting with a switch. He yells at me again. Hey, Mon, I can't, won't you come over here for a minute? I said, I, I don't think so. And he said, no, no, come over here. Was that not just the greatest game you'd ever seen? And uh, I was so shocked that I walked over, put the coax down, drank a beer in their tailgate, and uh, we exchanged coats. He gave me his Marshall starter jacket, which I've never worn, and I gave him my Grizzly starter jacket, which I bet he hasn't had ever worn either. And then back to rolling the coax up. And indeed, the planes were uh, sitting on this tarmac ready to go. It's too bad that I don't know whether there were planes. I think there was one plane that didn't actually get there on time. But can you imagine 10 charter planes from Missoula, Montana, those Marshall people, when we came back in 96, that's when we heard all the stories about all the interaction between our fans and their fans. Because, of course, I'm working, so the Friday night wasn't exactly like we were out hitting the streets having a good old time. We were, we were down among the team and going to meetings and stuff like that. But the next year, we did hear those stories. When, we, when you get back to Missoula, what, what was that scene like? Well, they didn't tell us. And uh, the bus unloads, they do a good job of positioning the buses where we don't see these people or hear these people. And everybody's tired. And in the players' mind, I think uh, they're waiting to go to the players' party on it. <laughs> uh, bigger than one, one that's ever been had. Um, so as we're filing off the bus, filing off the plane onto the bus, we think we're on our way back, back to the stadium. And we're told that there's going to be a, um, a celebration at the field house. And then we're told, no, it's too late. They decided to wait and do that later. So now we're really confused. So the bus pulls past the front of the plane. And instead of heading for the highway, it heads for the forest service. Everybody's going, great, the bus driver's lost, trying to get off the tarmac. And over we go, and here's this group of people that have been there a while, and the cheers start going up, and the chants start going up, and it just starts, it was like you'd, you'd run into all, it's like it happened all over again. You got to celebrate in that locker room, you got to celebrate on the tarmac. And of course, later you got to celebrate the field out. It was, it was one of the biggest surprises of my life. Uh, I'm a rather emotional guy and I had tears in my eyes before, uh, before I got on the bus as we're here, this 
kind of uh, roar. It's kind of starting bullying and roaring, deepening, deepening, deepening. By the time they see the first player head towards that line of people, they had them all roped off. And it, yeah, it was something to believe. It was quite surreal. That that game, that season, that championship, that trophy, it, it stamped an already legendary career for Don Reed, but then he decided to to ride off into the sunset. And that, w- that was his last game coaching at Montana or anywhere. And uh, here we are 25 years later, and it's amazing. I, I think that on one hand, I think he gets all the credit he ever deserved for the foundation he laid. But on the other hand, when you watch college football now, it looks like what Don Reed was doing 30 years ago. Uh, that in itself is amazing, the innovator that he was. But what what do you think that that did just to cement his legend uh, amongst the state of Montana in general, the fact that he won his last game to win the national championship for the Grizz? Well, Bobby Houck's one of my best friends. But there's times when Bobby Ball drives me nuts. <laughs> I can say that, see. I can say that now. Uh, Air Reed would never drive you nuts. Because you never knew what they were going to do, where they were going to do it, who was going to be the guy, and uh, who was going to make this a, a spectacular run back. Who was going to get you that extra possession? And don't forget what a big part that safety was in that game. The Butte boys, Randy Riley, Brian Toon, squeeze Pennington. Pennington tries to force it out, throws it away in the end zone, safety. Final score, two points. It was the difference in the ball game, and uh, I think it kind of, it kind of, it's kind of missed as to what the importance was when they, when they talk about what's the four things they say: the, the, the drive, the play, the catch, the kick. That was what the, what the whole thing was described in that last four and a half minutes. And uh, when you think about a safety against a team like that and it making the difference in the ball game. We go 12 plays, 72 yards, four and a half minutes. Well, that's all great and good, and the field goal is good. But you're tied before that play. A pivotal play to be sure. And the way that legends grow and, and myths are accentuated is, is so fascinating, especially when you analyze history in general, not just football history, but history in general. But I think that uh, if you're just to ask the common Grizz fan about the 1995 team, they certainly remember Don Reed and Dave Dickinson and the kick. And like you just said, the the drive, the, the play, the kick, all of those things. But tell us about some of the other unsung heroes, because I mean, those Butte guys, I mean, making that safety a huge deal. You know, Blaine McElmurray, a couple big hits, including one he got a penalty on that, that sort of reset the tone. I think maybe announced to Marshall, hey, you guys aren't the biggest, baddest team in this game. Uh, but that whole team, it was is filled with, you know, had this one pivotal star in Dave Dickinson, but filled with a whole bunch of other guys that were huge contributors. What do you remember about some of the other guys that were a part of, of this, this fabric and this team? Well, you know, you look at the all-conference team from that year, and Montana's represented in every offensive category except one. Their first team or second team. Every every team except one. The kicker. 
if you go to the second team, they're not represented by anybody except this wide receiver named Mike Earhart. It's just, it just seems, seems odd that that's the way it works out. But I think about Simo, Eric Simonson, best friend of Dave Dickinson. I think of a picture in, I think, Kim Brigham's book that shows, shows Simo standing over him. He was about 6'8". Dave was about 5'2", something like that. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you know, Dickie had that, uh, that Fran Tarkington, that'll date the listenership, uh, way of feeling backside pressure, hold, 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 to just that last second when he's either able to complete the pass or he's able to duck under it and, and buy time. That was his great, greatest asset. He didn't have the greatest arm. He sure didn't have the greatest legs, but he had a sense for for football and continues to show a sense of football. Um, you know, Mike Agee from Kalispell had a great season. Uh, ends up marrying one of the Wonder Girls. Um, you know, if you if you go down the line of that group of guys, I don't want to do disservice to anybody by pointing anybody out. There isn't a guy that you can't remember had a, had a great play or a great contribution or maybe just said something. I mean, was said off the field that people don't hear or in the locker room or wherever. It's, it's just one of those, one of those teams that had all the pieces. The last question here, just on this, you had just started your career as a, as the voice of the Grizz from a football standpoint at that time, just your third season, you went on to call for many years after that. When you think about that national championship and what that meant as the, in terms of the direction of this football program and the dominance that it enjoyed for, for so very many years, decades after this, while you were on the call, what do you think about in terms of, of, of the, the, the projection of the team as a result of that in its place, that 95 season? You know, I broadcast seven national championship games, and I don't think that I ever thought that I'd do one, let alone have a second one the next year. But to have a chance to win seven, that's what that championship in 95 did. It took us to the level that we were recognized top ten whether we deserved it or not. Nobody wanted to come here and play. Feeling this, trying to fill the schedule was a nightmare as no non-conference team wanted to play. There were games that jump out that I think about that were pivot, just as pivotal as the national championship. I think about winning at James Madison. Nobody wins a playoff game at James Madison. That was one of those raucous situations. I think about winning at North Texas. When we went across the field, it was 100 degrees. When I walked across the field with Wayne Hogan, and their athletic director came running up behind, said something disparaging that I can't repeat on the radio, and said he wouldn't be bringing his team to Missoula next year because of the fact that we took them apart at their house. He wanted no part of us. Just a couple of games that stick out in my mind, and... and uh, of course, there's, there's many others than that, but where it took us to was expectation, and that's a double-edged sword. There are, there are those people, especially the younger set, that just can't understand why you don't beat the Bobcats every year. Well, I'm not liking four in a row either. 
and it's going to seem like six in a row if we ever get out on the field on the field again. But uh, that was an awful long string against the Cats, and, and they were better than us in two or three of those games. But the aura of Grace football seemed to carry us through, even when we didn't deserve to win. And I think that all goes back, and I'll go further back than that 95 team. I still think it started in 93. Of course, it, that's in line with when I started. So 31 years went like it was yesterday. There you go, Mick Holine. Again, passing away at the age of 76. If you'd like to hear uh, our entire conversation uh, with Mick, go ahead and check it out on the podcast, the uh, Grizz Greats podcast series, which is out now. I uh, really enjoyed talking with him this, the, the handful of times uh, I got to. is was a, a real highlighted treat. And, and again, certainly uh, our thoughts with his family, his friends, and, uh, and and we reflect on on a guy who did it for a long, long time at the University of Montana, 31 years. We'll take a break on the other side. Missoula Paddleheads are going to be playing baseball in Missoula this upcoming season. We'll tell you in what capacity and how. Pretty interesting. Next. Coulter, obviously, if people are traveling, you got to have them stay somewhere else, not with you. That's true even when COVID isn't going on, and especially now. So you send them out to the Wingate. We know that. That's obvious. What you might not know is about all the meeting space they have out there, convention space, and even personal office space because God knows I can't stand being with you any much longer. I'm going out there. I'm going to lock up my own personal office at the Wingate. You can do the same thing. If you need a business space, whether it's for yourself personally or you're just tired of doing Zoom meetings, you just want to see other humans, but you want to be socially distanced, the Wingate has great business meeting rooms. You can space out. They have all the hookups and technology you're going to need for any sort of meeting or presentation. Or if you're like Ryan, you just want to have a place where you can work in peace and quiet, the Wingate Inn also a great option for those that live and work around Western Montana and the city of Missoula. If you have anybody coming through town or you want to get your kids out of the house, Wingate also has awesome rooms, great business rates. The pool is back open. They've done a great job of making sure that's going to be safe for you and your family. The Wingate Inn, located in Missoula, it's an excellent option for business travelers, local business people, or anybody coming through the city of Missoula. Let the Wingate Inn make you feel at home even when you're not. The Missoula Paddleheads look like they are going to play their first baseball game as the Missoula Paddleheads in Missoula at some point. It is Tutel Nuanas, 109 ESPN Radio, SWX Montana Television. Uh, Coulter, uh, the panel had sent out a press release today. Uh, read a portion of it to the good people. Uh, and uh, it goes like this. They've announced that they have agreed to be part of a Major League Baseball Partner League. Partner League, Okay. The Pioneer League officially is no longer a part of minor league baseball. The Pioneer League and a handful of other leagues around the country comprising, I think, better than a quarter of the total number of minor league teams that existed uh, prior to this past offseason and the agreement that went by the wayside. Um, At this time, the league will consist of all eight teams that have been in the Pioneer League up to this point. Uh, and the season will also be exp- expanded to have a 92-game schedule uh, that's uh, supposed to go from mid-May to early September. So it's going to start just about a month earlier and have 
uh, a handful of more games in it than what the uh, the the old Pioneer League had. Um, Peter Davis says in his press release, he's the owner of the uh, Paddleheads, quote, we are very pleased that professional baseball is alive and well in western Montana. The decision to extend the decades-long relationship between MLB and the Pioneer League is not just great news for our communities, but also for the players and the game of baseball. Um, What is a partner league? My understanding is there are two other partner leagues. This will be Mm -hmm. the third in the nation. Uh, The players for a partner league come from three places, either undrafted players. So you have the major league draft, obviously guys that don't get taken would be available guys who have been in the major league system Mm -hmm. and are no, you know, have, have, you know, basically been cut or, or no longer being retained there can continue their baseball careers here or Players who are affiliated and under contract with major league teams can also play in this league, making it sort of a de facto minor league for guys who are under contract. This is notable on a, on a bunch of different levels, and down you know over the next days and weeks, we will certainly have folks on from the paddleheads from the league to sort of flesh this out for us. But the paddleheads are no longer in the minor, the pioneer league is no longer in the minor league, and thus the paddleheads are no longer associated with the Arizona Diamondbacks. The interesting part of this is if you had players who were affiliated, they could be affiliated with any club and perhaps multiple guys with different teams. You could have a, a guy with a contract from the White Sox, a guy with a contract from the Rays, and a guy with a contract from the Dodgers all playing together in Missoula on the Paddleheads team. Uh, and the Major League Baseball is going to uh, give some funding, at least for the initial portion of this league, and they are also going to fit every stadium in the Pioneer League with uh, scouting equipment, electronics, computers, cameras, etc. I don't know all of what that will comprise, so that they can do analytics and scouting from a distance without the actual human being traveling to all these outposts like Missoula and Billings and Great Falls and so on. So that is the, the nuts and bolts, as I understand it, of what this is going to be. I need to dive into this a little bit more. We will set up some interviews with people that are involved with the Missoula Paddleheads and the Pioneer League in general because I do think there's some stuff to get fleshed out. But Sean Rainey, our associate at uh, SWX Montana Television uh, he and ABC Fox Montana, he did it, some interviews with the Paddleheads tonight. I think yeah. that'll be on SWX tonight, uh, probably the evening news as well as SWX tonight. I'll also be on SWX there tonight. There you go. Breaking down some big sky As if hoops. there wasn't enough reason to watch already. Hey. But uh, a couple notes from Sean post his interview, this is from his Twitter account, he said, uh, Paddleheads executives think the, the quality of play will be better because of a mix of older players and pool availability. The franchise will now have more control over those players as well, so guys won't leave right away as they often do. And they're also now allowed to hire their own coaches. So to me, here's here's the pluses for you. I think that the the overall level of the acumen of the game when it comes to baseball will probably be superior because it's not going to be a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds. On the flip side of that, you're not going to have probably nearly the talent. Well, it the, will be a bunch of 18 and 19-year-olds, but it will also be probably some mid-20s, maybe right. late-20s-year-olds. I, lo- I think the oldest player on the Osprey the last time they played was 23. Yeah, You're going to see a lot more mid-20s guys, and I think that then you're going to see a lot more coaches and managers that are probably that's the probably the biggest factor in terms of the quality of play You're, the the paddleheads are going to get to hire their own guy mm-hmm. and then they'll be you know they'll have to handle the whatever scrutiny comes with that good or bad 
but it's not going to be someone that the organization sends here because that has been a complete crapshoot for 25 years. Sure. Uh, but I just I think you're probably not going to see the same electric 19-year-old who was the fourth Absolutely. overall pick. Yeah. But but then if you do have good talent in... Now, what was that? I don't was that know. a sneeze? I almost what had a happened? sneeze. If you have good talent in uh, <laughs> on the team, though, the fact that they're not going to get moved up, right? The fact that there's not a Major League Baseball yeah. affiliate... The players that were playing for the Osprey, first and foremost, were commodities. That's why this entire situation has happened. Yeah. The Major League Baseball organizations, they don't want their commodities to be playing in places where you could lose any games. Any games. That was the biggest argument against the Pioneer League. Two, three, four, five games get rained out a year throughout the entire Pioneer League. That's not good. For I thought major- money was the biggest reason. Well, but, but that the money is the, their their invested money in these kids. That's the whole point, though, is the development. Even just missing three, four, five, six games within a given summer, you're not getting the maximum development out of your commodity, which then is in turn costing you money. That was the biggest argument towards getting rid of all these rookie league and Class A teams. And so now I think that you won't have you know, a Sergio Santos coming to Missoula for 10 days and then being gone. The, the roster continuity will be, I think, a lot stronger. So I think that that's something to look forward to. And at the end of the day, you want to know what this really comes down to? Now you have an autonomous Missoula business that is going to be – the challenge is, is it sustainable? But the golden uh, – the silver lining here is that it's not gone. That's right. The minor league baseball is here in Missoula, regardless of what the affiliation is. So now it's up to us as Missoulians to make sure that this is a sustainable deal. This isn't a profit margin thing now from a larger corporation. This isn't a commodity trading business where you're developing guys for another organization. Now this is your organization. How do you hire? How do you stock your roster? Do you put a compelling product on the field? Now, to me, this at least gives the the franchise itself a, a window, a five to ten year window to prove that minor league baseball is sustainable in Missoula, Montana. Yeah, very good. Well, uh, plenty more on this to come. Again, this uh, news just breaking today, so we'll we'll have we'll have more on this and, and try and learn some more about this uh, as we go. But hour number one in the books, hour two straight ahead. It's Monday. That means it's Monday Night Football, and it is the Seattle Seahawks on Monday Night Football. We'll have that game for you right here on ESPN Radio. We'll talk to Mike Dugar, covers the Seahawks for the Athletic, 12 for the 12s, next. Get commencement ready at the Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Their grad fair sale is going on right now if you visit msubookstore.org. Free regalia? When you purchase a diploma frame at the MSU Bookstore, you can obviously visit the MSU Bookstore on the Montana State campus. The Montana State Bookstore, your best place for blue and gold on game day or any other day. Visit on campus or at msubookstore.org. 